Oh, greetings, church. It is so good to be with you. And uh, Matt, Mallory, and Rory, thank you so much. It was great to see you this today. Um, getting to watch these videos of others and coming in, it just reminds me of how much I miss being together. So I really do want to know how you are doing in this pandemic. Uh, this week, especially just even this week, if we look at this idea of checking in each week, you know, this week I'm doing okay. I had several highs and several lows this week. A high was seeing Rory right now, but also uh, we did patio prom this week and we had uh, the stay at home expire. That was great. I mean, good. And uh, we had our friends, the Youngbergs, uh, Nick and Andrea, who were able to bring home little baby Soren, and we're so excited for you guys, and he is just beautiful, uh, and that's such a beautiful new beginning. Uh, but there are also some lows, uh, friends losing their jobs, uh, the disparity right now between which uh, businesses and organizations get to open and which don't, and even this week, there are some groups of churches mounting a defense, uh, an attack, an argument uh, against the governor's restrictions. And so we stand in this place of tension. And I want you to join me in standing in that place of tension, of asking God, what does it mean, like the scripture says, to follow our government and obey our earthly leaders? And what does it mean to follow and honor God? Uh, so with that, would you pray with me? Lord, we desire for your goodness and your blessing to go out into the world. And we desire for new beginnings to happen in our lives, that they wouldn't just be a story that we've been reading, but that they would be actual events that happen in our actual lives. So I pray that you would speak to us today about who we are and about who you are and about how you're at work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, um, we're so excited about little baby Soren coming home. It reminds me um, of any baby being born. And I don't know if you've seen a baby being born either in real life or on video, but when babies first come into the world, like everyone says, oh, they're so beautiful. They're really not beautiful. They're, they're kind of funny looking. Um, I joke with my kids all the time because they came out so unique looking. I mean, they were all similar in that they were all slimy, um, but like all different too. My, my son, his head was stuck in my wife's hips, and, and so he came out kind of wrinkly. His ear was smashed. We, we call them Elmer Fudd. It was just beautiful. My oldest daughter, she came out with little tiny hair on every square inch of her body, like her eyebrows to her forehead, all hair. I mean, so we just called her our little monkey. And our middleest, she um, is a little miracle because the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, so she came out blue and not breathing. Um, thankfully, in a matter of seconds, she was okay, but um, we affectionately call her our little Smurf. So uh, you can uh, let my kids know that uh, they're Monkey, Smurf, and Elmer Fudd, but they are all, they were and are absolutely beautiful. Every new birth is a miracle, and it's a new beginning that we get to witness. 
And as we've been walking through the days of creation, we're not simply looking at how this, that new beginning started, but we want to see how all new beginnings can start. And on day six, when God creates humans, male and female, he creates and breathes his life and his spirit into them, and he creates them unique to reflect his image. That's what happens on day six. But the struggle of day six is to believe that God shaped you, that he formed you, and he even knew you before you were born, and that you were covered in his goodness. See, at the very beginning in Genesis 1, like Matt read, the first thing that we see about humans is that we bear the image of the almighty creator God. The Bible doesn't start with humans being sinners or broken, messed up losers. No, instead, it says that we have God's DNA code written through our entire beings. So I just want us to try and wrap our head around that, that you and I were created in God's image to bear his image. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, there aren't a lot of mornings that I wake up like Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes and think, oh man, I am made in God's image and I am covered in his goodness. I love it. Yes. Instead, most mornings I wake up and jump in the shower and try to wash off all of the mistakes and failures I feel like I'm covered in. Maybe you too go to work every day and you try to be someone or you try to meet someone else's standard or you try to get rid of the previous day's messes and you can lose sight that God made you, that God loves you, that God even likes you. In our age of you doing you and you living your truth and you being true to yourself, we can get consumed with having to make ourselves, with having to portray or project some image to make us feel made or feel loved or feel even liked. And so for a few minutes, would you consider with me what it means that God created you in his image to bear his image. As I've reflected and prayed on this, I see a point that we need to ponder and an adjustment we need to make to become the people who are created in God's image to bear his image to the broken world around us. And the point to ponder is who God is. That God is not a he and that God is not a she, but actually that God is an us. Now, I know many of you default to God being a he. I usually do too. We sing songs like good, good father. We pray prayers like our father in heaven. But God is not a man. Now, God is not a woman either, but God is fully masculine and fully feminine. I'm guessing you already know places, maybe even in the Bible, of where God is referred to as a father or a man. But here's just a couple of verses that give us the female imagery of God. First, Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, 14 says, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. Or... 
Genesis 49, 25 says, May the God of your father help you, and may the Almighty bless you with blessings of heaven above and the blessings of the watery depths below and the blessings of the breast and womb. And even Jesus refers to this female imagery of God when he says in Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. See, Jesus is showing the protective love of God that is expressed quite honestly and maybe best in a mother's protective love. God is an us. God created humans in this togetherness, in the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when I used to read Psalm 139, like Mallory read, I pictured God forming me in my mother's womb, kind of like an artist forms clay. And after pondering this idea of God being in community, God fully masculine and fully feminine, I now hear Psalm 139 much more like what a wife and a husband would say to each other when out of their own love, they want to bring forth a child. Let us conceive a child in our likeness. See, us wanted to conceive children or new beings that might reflect us in the world that us had just created. So you and I came into the world because God, who is fully male and fully female, wanted children to reflect his image and bring his blessing into the world. You are not just a you. You are part of us. Every new beginning is not solely about you. It's about us. You and God, you and me, you and her, you and him, you and them, all of us. So, what are we supposed to do with that? See, many people, not just young people, have grown up believing that life is all about creating your own self and being true to that self. If I can achieve what I want and become who I'm supposed to become and stay true to that, then I have peace or I have freedom or I have significance. But that is a lot of pressure to achieve and to keep up. There's actually an identity that you, can, you and I can receive instead of achieve, if we just make this one adjustment. I, I find it in the book of Judges in the Bible. If we can make this adjustment like this person named Gideon, we can reflect God's image in the world. Now, we first meet Gideon in Judges 6 when he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Yeah, I said that correctly. It says that an angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ibizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, again, I'm not sure how much you know about Gideon, but Gideon might be best described as Flick from A Bug's Life. I mean, Flick has ideas about how to cultivate more food, how to keep it away from the Midianites. I mean, the grasshoppers, they keep stealing it. So, 
wine presses are used to crush grapes for wine, not threshing wheat for bread. So Flick, or in this case Gideon, is just surviving. How many of you feel like you are in survival mode in this pandemic? Like I'm just trying to survive distance learning or I'm just trying to survive job layoff or job loss or I'm just trying to survive stay at home or now stay safe or I'm just trying to get by. See, we're not created for survival mode. We're created to thrive, not just for ourselves, but to thrive in harmony with God and with others in all of creation. And I hope you catch that the Lord comes to Gideon when he is just surviving. I think many people believe God only comes to those who are thriving. But if you're in a place of surviving, would you keep your eyes open to where God is watching and working? Because he always comes, even to those who are surviving. In Judges 6, verse 12, it says that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength of that you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, I kind of love Gideon's responses, because when the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, Gideon says, basically, I don't think so. If the Lord's with us, all this stuff has happened. Isn't it so easy for us to do that? Well, all the circumstances would say that God is not with me. And then when God says, go in the strength you have, Gideon essentially says, excuse me, Lord, what? With what strength do I have? My relatives are the weakest in this tribe of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Israel, Joseph's firstborn son. Manasseh was one of Joseph's, was Joseph's firstborn son, and he didn't even get the firstborn blessing. So there's that. And he says he's the least significant in his family. And while I, I love that because those aren't the right responses. Those aren't the, the Jesus answers that we're supposed to give God when he asks us questions. But I love it because it's probably how I would have answered. And I bet it's true for you. See, Gideon is convinced that he doesn't have any strength. He doesn't even acknowledge the label that God places on him. But I love God's responses even more than Gideon's because God doesn't bring any presents to uh, Gideon's pity party. He doesn't sit down and wallow with Gideon. And let's be honest, sometimes that's what we really want. We want God or someone to sit with us and let us and listen to how bad things are and how much it's crappy. But Gideon, if, if Gideon was handing out invitations to his pity party, God did not pick one up. 
And I love that God doesn't chastise Gideon for having this inaccurate picture of himself. God stays close to him and continues the conversation. See, when you're in a really bad place, will you stay and have that conversation with God? He can handle it. Let him know how it stinks, how bad it is. But stay in the conversation and listen to what God says. Because Gideon and you and me, we have to make the adjustment. And the adjustment is this. Will you agree with God about who you are? Will you agree with God about who you are? I met Danielle Strickland at our midwinter conference, and she calls this true humility. True humility is agreeing with God about who you are. If you're taking notes, I want you to draw a simple teeter-totter, so like a line across your page with a little square or a little triangle underneath the middle of that line. And on one side of that line, write insecurity, and on the other side of that line, write arrogance. See, I think Gideon is stuck in this position of insecurity. He's hiding, he's pleasing, he has this I suck syndrome. Like everything is bad and I can't do anything right. And I think God is saying to Gideon, I want to partner with you, Gideon. If you can just come into agreement about who you are, Gideon, I can do something great with you and through you. But it's not going to work if you won't agree with me. So on the other side of the line is arrogance. And some of us believe arrogance is the remedy for insecurity. If I can just make myself feel good, if I can just prove to others that I am great, then I won't be so insecure. I think Muhammad Ali fell into this trap. There's a story about one time when he was flying on an airplane and he was refusing to buckle his seatbelt. And so the flight attendant came to him and said, "Uh, Mr. Ali, the pilot will not leave the jetway here until you buckle your seatbelt. And he says, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. To which the very quick-witted flight attendant replied, Superman, don't need no airplane either. See, if you're constantly trying to prove yourself, you might be struggling with the arrogance side of this continuum. See, when God says, go in the strength you have, Gideon, he says, what strength? I don't have any strength, which is why I think he's on the side of insecurity. My clan is the weakest in my tribe, and I'm the smallest in my family. I don't think Gideon actually made that up. It sounds like something that he's heard over and over and over until it's burned in his mind. Gideon's the youngest in his family, so I picture this family dinner with the youngest kid at the table as they're all talking, and Gideon says, I I think we should fight back. I don't think it's right that the Midianites steal our food. I think we should, maybe we should try to compromise with them, or maybe we should figure out a plan for how we can make more food so that we have enough and we can share with them. And then his family, oh, Gideon. Maybe it's his mother or his brother or his father. Oh, Gideon, let me tell you how it is. We're from the tribe of Manasseh. Do you know that Manasseh was Joseph's son that didn't get the firstborn blessing? Did you know Manasseh, only half our tribe came into the promised land and the other half stayed on the other side? Oh, and our clan in our tribe, we're the smallest clan. Oh, and you're the least in our family. Oh, Gideon, we can't do this. 
I bet you have some recordings in your head too. Oh, I'm too sensitive to be a leader. Oh, I'm a woman. I can't do that. Oh, I'm too young. Well, I've never done that before. Oh, I'm not strategic enough. Oh, I don't like being in front of people. Oh, I, I stutter. What are the recordings in your mind? See, true humility is agreeing with God about who he says we are. And if we want to come into agreement with what God says, we need to start playing his recordings. See, God already sees something in Gideon. God sees a strength that he's already put in him. Of course he does. God created him and put good things in him and is speaking truth over him about who he is. And the same is true for us. God has an identity and a purpose for Gideon. And Gideon will receive a new name, but it's bigger than just a name. It's a new identity that God wants to partner with Gideon to redeem his people. And God has an identity and a purpose for you too. It goes beyond a job title, like Chris said. See, knowing who we really are is not just about us. It's to build others up and to bless the world. That's why our church exists, to get restored and redeemed by Jesus so that we bring hope and blessing into the world. Because we want to join with Jesus to restore everything, including our own souls and our people, but also those people and the whole world. It starts with asking God who you really are. Maybe God will give you an actual name like he did to Gideon. Maybe he'll give you a label like Gideon received mighty warrior. So grab some index cards, grab some post-it notes, grab actual paper and sit with God and say, God, what is my true name? Now in your prayers and in your waiting, I'm guessing that some old labels are going to be brought forward. Some of them are going to be unhelpful. Some of them are going to be unfair, and some of them are going to even be untrue, but write them down separately. Write them down, hold them up, and say out loud, God, this is not who you call me to be. This is not who you say I am. Crumple it up, tear it up, or burn it up. And then sit and write down any label that comes that, is, that you think is from God. Maybe, again, he'll give you an actual name, Maybe he'll give you a label like, you are enough. You are joyful. You are laughter amongst friends. Or even promises from scripture, you are beloved by God. God sings over you with joy, Zephaniah 3.17. Or you are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. Or you are chosen, Ephesians 1.4. You are a child of God, John 1.12. Or you are known by God even before you were born, Jeremiah 1.5 or Psalm 139. You are beautiful and uniquely made. And because of Jesus, if you trust Jesus with your life, not making your own self, but actually putting yourself in Christ, then you're a new creation. You are born again. You're alive in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are an ambassador for Christ. 
you are not shaken. You are not stuck in worry because Jesus offers you a peace that the world cannot give. You are the church and you exist for the world and you are part of God's family. What is your name? And what is God calling you to? That is the new beginning of day six. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you made a way. You were the true human. You were the one who came fully human. And God, you were fully divine, but you set your divinity down to become one of us, to depend on God fully, to show us the way, to do what we couldn't and still can't do. And God, when we trust in you, God, not just for life, but for everything, because you lived and you gave your life for us. And you rose from the dead to defeat sin and death and the devil. And it's when we trust in that, in who you are and what you've done, that we have life. God, help us to hear from you who we really are, to know what you're calling us to do. Because we know that life is not just about us. It's about bringing hope and blessing to those around us, to redeem and restore the world, to be part of your kingdom, and to contribute to that mission. Not because we have to, but because you invite us to. God, I pray that you would work to undo the recordings that we have in our minds that hold us back from our new beginnings, from being part of your rescue plan and to lead us into everlasting life. Amen.